we believe that Jesus is the Savior. God loves me. Heard it all my life. Grew up in church. Knew the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. I knew God loved me. But when I was in college, sitting in a, a Bible class. I think I came a little more understanding of what it means that God loves me. His love is not based on performance and it's not based on our goodness and it's not based on how obedient we are. As I came to know Jesus as my Savior in my elementary years, I I always thought if I just can be good enough, then the Lord will be pleased with my life. If I could just, you know, not say bad words and and make good grades and be nice to people, then then God would would love me would love me more. So my love really kind of became performance and achievement based. That if I could do some things and, and walk through life and, and do it well, then, then God would really love me and be proud of me. Then I began to understand that God, God loves me. God loves me. The creator and sustainer, the sovereign over the universe, the one who has created the billions of stars and calls each of them by name, the one who is immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the one who opened the Red Sea for the children of Israel, the one who allowed a little shepherd boy to defeat a giant, the one who provided manna, the one who showed himself strong in my parents' life. That God loves me. But God loves me. He loves me with an unconditional, eternal, sacrificial, benevolent love that I cannot earn or deserve on my own, that I can't do enough good things to to make him love me anymore. There is nothing I can do that would make God love me any more than he loves me right now. And there's nothing I could do that would make God love me less than he loves me right now. God loves me. God loves me.
a kid born in the Midwest, 40 miles from here, tried to be good, wasn't always. I told you I came to know Jesus in my elementary years, but one of the worst times I ever got in trouble was because I said a bad word about having to go to Sunday night church. We used to have something in the olden days called training union. Probably most of you all never heard of training union before. But training union was like a repeat of Sunday school an hour before Sunday night worship. And you know what was on at 6 o'clock on Sunday night? The wonderful world of Disney. I never got to see the wonderful world of Disney. And I didn't get to see the end of the 3 o'clock football games either. Because we were always going to church on Sunday night. He loves me. Kid who was very insecure at times and got off track at times. Whose mouth in his middle school and high school years said some awfully bad things to try to fit in. God loves me. I really bring nothing to the table. Not any goodness of my own. I mean, I I made good grades, but that was expected at my house, and we studied hard, and it it was not that I was this great intellect. Most of my life, I was pretty skinny and wasn't real strong. Now I'm just heavy and I'm not real strong, so it really doesn't make any difference. But the, but the picture is, is sometimes we always think that because I'm this, God will love me more. I, I want to tell you today, God loves you. Some of you, you, you may be questioning that in your own mind. You're walking through circumstances that are awfully painful. You're in a transition that is very uncomfortable. You don't understand why there's problems in relationships and problems with finances and problems with job and problems at, uh, in education and while you're trying to finish school. You just don't understand. Some of you today may be thinking, man, if I could just find the right person to be married, everything would be great. And if I could just have a family, everything would be great. And... If I could just retire, everything would be great. And I want to tell you today, right where you are, God knows. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows your doubts and your hurts and your insecurities. He knows the temptations and distractions of your life. He knows the times that you've blown it. And God loves you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John 3. 16. We're going through a series called We Believe, and as we have looked over the last couple of weeks, we believe that God is a God that's worth not forgetting. He is faithful. He is merciful. He's just. Last week, we looked at Scripture. Scripture is inspired by God. Today, we look at Jesus, our Savior. John three sixteen. I'll be reading out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It's a little newer translation, and it may read a little different than the one that you memorized years ago, but we will jump in. For God so loved the world in this way. 
that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And with that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth in it. And Lord, may we leave this place knowing Jesus is our Savior and we are loved. In your name, amen. It is possible to read our Bibles and to dig into the depth of scriptures. And through that process, as we read the Gospels, as we go into the epistles, as we read about the apocalypse and revelation, that we could actually miss something of supreme importance. And that is, God loves us. We can fill our mind with theological truth. We can learn the Greek and the Hebrew even. And somewhere along the way, miss that God really does love me and he loves me so much that he sent his son. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. And he says, Jesus, man, I know that you are a great teacher. I mean, there's something special about you. We know that you are one who has been sent from God. And then Jesus comes back and tells him something like this. You know, Nicodemus, you have an issue in your life that you need to be born again. And he's like, what does that mean? Do I enter into my mother's womb a second time? What does that really mean? And where am I really going with all of this? And And Jesus then clearly, in John 3.16, summarizes the message that God wants us to know. And realize, as we we look at this, this message has been preached to hundreds of millions into the billions of people probably. And yet Jesus shared this in a face-to-face conversation with one person. As he says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. For Nicodemus, who had known the Old Testament well, this was a mind-boggling truth. And I think even for us today, when we recognize and realize the depth of God's love for us, We've heard it all of our life, but I pray that it would be fresh today as you understand God knows who you are, what's going on in your life, and he loves you. So let's think about this. We finally, as we look at John 3.16, we open and recognize that Jesus himself embodies the ultimate picture of the love of God. That, that Jesus really is the one who is the Savior. Notice it in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and his only son. Jesus embodies the ultimate expression of God's love for us. He embodies. Now in John chapter 1, we're, we're reminded in John 1, 1, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus, in eternity past, was always with God. But then down in John 1.14, it tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that, that God stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus, and Jesus was the embodiment of the full deity of God and the full humanity of man. This is the 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 miracle of the incarnation. This is the uh, ultimate expression of God's love to us. That as Jesus steps into humanity, fully God, fully man, we find that he came. Now notice that as God expresses this love, what did God do? He sent his son. The expression of this love is that God gave his one and only Son. Now, as we look at this again, we're, we're reminded God's love sent his son. For God loved the world and he gave his one and only son. God's love sent his son. Now, as we think about God's love, what does God's love look like? God's love looks like that it would step into humanity in the person of Jesus being fully God, being fully man, who would come and live a perfect life Ultimately pointing people to himself, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was not just a good way or a good example. He was not even the best way in order to get to heaven. But Jesus is the only way. So God sent his son so that we could ultimately experience this picture of eternal life. So God's love sent his son. Now let's think about God's love just for a minute. In Jeremiah 31, 3, or 31, 1, it tells us that God's love is eternal. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 1 says. In Romans 5, 8, it tells us and shows us that God's love is sacrificial. But God demonstrates his love in, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love was willing to go to the point of sacrifice. God's love sent his son years ago. When uh, my brother was uh, struggling with leukemia, they decided that they needed to do a bone marrow transplant. And so my three sisters and my two uh, other brothers, we all had to get tested to see if we would match a bone marrow test. And as we went through the tests, Julie and I had just moved to seminary a few months prior. And uh, while we were there, I got a phone call that said, you are the best match for the bone marrow transplant. I said, okay. Uh, Then the nurse said this. Now, if you just want me to tell the rest of your family you're not a good match, then I will do that. And I seriously asked her this question. Do people really do that? And she said, they do it all the time. As, As we think about that, then I had to go and up to Madison, Wisconsin, where he was uh, living in that proximity, and they put me to sleep, and they poked four big holes in the, my lower back and that big bone back there and extracted bone marrow from me. And I knew it was going to be painful. I knew it wasn't going to be any fun. But I also knew that I loved my brother, and I would do anything that I could to help him in his life. Here, the picture is, is that God's love would step into humanity because uh, Jesus, as he would live this perfect life, would ultimately pay a great price for us. 
God's love sent his son. But God's love sent his son for the world. God's love sent his son for the world. For God so loved the world. That, that beautiful picture is, is that it doesn't make any difference how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't make any difference what the color of your, your skin is. It doesn't make any difference where your financial class is, if you're upper, middle, lower. It doesn't make any difference of your ethnic origin or what language you speak. It really doesn't make any difference on any of those kind of external things that sometimes we're so quick to judge people by. The picture is, is that God loves humanity. And he loves the people that are in the world. He loves them all. And the beautiful picture in in Revelation is, is that people from every nation and tribe and tongue are going to be there one day, gathered around the throne, giving praise to God and the Lord Jesus. But God loves everyone here and now. So the picture is, is that God so loved the world, he said to his son. God loves us and God loves the world. He loves this mess of humanity that is around us. He loves us even though sometimes we don't even recognize it. He shows his love through common grace. We know that it rains on the just and the unjust. We know that the sun shines on those who wake up and decide, man, I'm going to live for Jesus today. And those who wake up and decide, I'm going to do everything I can to extinguish Christianity today. The sun comes up. The rain falls on all of them. All of us have moments of laughter. We, we have moments of, of joy or peace. Those are all gifts of God's common grace. God's love sent his son. God's love sent his son for the world. But God's love sent his son for the world because of sin. You say, buddy, I don't see anything about sin in John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his, only, his one and only son. Well, there's not anything about sin in John three sixteen necessarily, but the context picks up in verse number 14. If you have your Bible open in John three sixteen, look back to verse number 14, because there, as Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, who knew the Old Testament, he refers back to an issue in the Old Testament where Israel sinned, because it says this, for just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish. Then verse 16, for God so love the world. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what does that mean? Well, in Numbers chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, you can turn back there. Numbers chapter 21, you remember that Moses is leading the children of Israel through the the wilderness. And as he's leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, they just begin to get grumpy and rebellious along the way. In Numbers 21, it says uh, they were coming out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. So they've crossed the Red Sea, but it says this, but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt uh, to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. They're tired of eating manna already. Uh, They got about 35 more years of it, but uh, anyway. Uh, Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. So the people 
They begin to sin. They begin to rebel and grumble against God and against Moses. And so God says, look, you want to you grumble? Then I'm going to send punishment. The wages of sin is always going to bring punishment. So he begins to send snakes. And snakes come among the people. And the snakes, when they bite people, they are going to die. And so as the snakes begin to bite people and people begin to die, the other people who are alive begin to think, you know, maybe grumbling against God and rebelling against um, God and Moses, maybe not such a good idea anymore. So they go back then to Moses. Verse number seven in Numbers 21, the people then came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Now here they recognize and admit, we've sinned, we've broken God's laws, we've, we've trespassed, we've stepped over a line, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you, intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then notice, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole, and when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake, mounted it on a pole, and whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Here the picture is, is that as Moses lifted up the serpent, the people grumbled, they began to sin. And so Moses was instructed by God to put a bronze snake up on a pole, and when the people by faith would look to the pole with the snake on it, then they would recover. The picture of the, the punishment of sin, and that snake on the pole. And then he says, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is saying, just like they put that snake up in the Old Testament because of sin, they're going to put me up on a cross because of sin. And I am going to take the punishment for their sin. I am the one who will take the penalty, who will take God's justice because of the sin that they have committed. This is the amazing part. That even though we have thought things and said things and done things that is against God, even though we have rebelled against God, God still loved us so much, he sent his son. And he sent his son because that person you looked at in the mirror this morning as you touched up your hair, put on your makeup, shaved your face, before God, is a sinner. We all are. And because of that, we need a Savior. Jesus embodies the ultimate expression of God's love. Secondly, we find in this passage that then Jesus offers the invitation. Notice, he offers the invitation of God's love. Notice back in John 3, 16, God loved his son, or God loved the world, he sent his son, and he goes on to say that everyone, or the, the, the New King James or the King James says, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, as we think of that, that picture, he, he, he makes it clear to us. Jesus offers the invitation, the ultimate invitation of God's love. He says that everyone or that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you ever been not invited? Somebody had something and you weren't invited? Here the picture is, is God loves the world and he invites. He invites everyone. He invites the rich and the poor. He invites the the clean and the dirty. He invites the one who tries to live a moral life and the one who has fallen into the depths of sin. Jesus offers the ultimate invitation of God's love and notice that invitation is to everyone or that invitation is to the whoever. There is the picture of the whoever here that that is very clear for us. The invitation is to whoever, to to all of us, to everyone. You, You don't have to worry about not being invited. You're all invited. Everyone is invited. There is a whoever or a whosoever And that call then is, for the whoever, is then to believe. The call is simply to believe. Whoever can come and whoever can believe. The invitation is to whoever and the invitation is to believe. Now as we think about this word believe, it is used some 90 times in the Gospel of John. And as you read through the Gospel of John, and I encourage you to do this, I've done this in many of my Bibles, uh, to go through and, and every time you see the word believe or believing or unbelief, to circle that word and you're going to find 90 times in that Gospel, there is the word believe. Because we have to recognize it is not what I bring to the table as far as my performance, as far as what I can do for the Lord, as far as me doing this or going to this church or giving this money or teaching this class or singing in this band or singing in a choir or playing in an orchestra. It doesn't have anything to do with that. There is one call that John 3.16 lays out for us and that call is to believe. And the call is broad so that everyone, whoever can be involved, and the call then is very specific that we have to believe. Now this belief is not just a mental assent. Oh yeah, I believe Jesus was alive. This belief is not, oh, I was out in the the mountains one time and I really kind of felt the presence of God. Mm -mm, That's not what this looks like at all. Instead, this belief shows this. I believe this stool can hold me up. So I'm going to lean on it. That's not believing the stool will hold me up. I'm just leaning on it. Oh, I believe the stool will hold me up. So I'm going to... I'm going to put some of my weight on it, but I'm not going to put all of my weight on it. You know, I, I, I know I've got to trust Jesus, but I've got to do some good things here too. I, I, I've got to try to live right and do right and be right. I, I, I've got to, to, to go to church and I've got to be baptized and I've got to take uh, the Lord's Supper and I've got to give money and I've got to do all those things. The picture is that sometimes we want to say, look, it's my achievement and, and some of the Lord's work and we're going to work in tandem with this. And that's not what it says. The picture of belief is, is I put all of my trust and all of my weight, everything that I know about me and my sinfulness and all about who God made me, I put upon Jesus and I trust him alone as the only way of salvation. I mean, no, no weight, 
on me. Nothing, nothing I'm, I, I bring to the table here. I, I just trust this stool to hold me up. And Jesus, I trust you alone as the only way of salvation. That's it. When we say Jesus is the Savior and Jesus saves, we're saying, not that I can swim a little bit and he can rescue me a little bit. It's saying, I'm trusting Jesus alone as the only way. The invitation's extended. Some of you today may know some great things about Jesus, may be able to tell Bible stories from when you were a child. Some of you may be able to sing, Jesus loves me. And some of you may be able to sing uh, the the little uh, songs that you learned in Sunday school. And yet the truth of it is, is you've never come to a place where you've fully put your trust in Jesus alone as the only way of salvation. You're still wavering, thinking, if I can just be good enough, if I can just do enough. And the picture is, there's an invitation today. But if you think you're part of that invitation that says, look how good I am, you really have to understand it's not about what you bring. Because what you do bring is sin. Heard the story about the young lady who was coming close to making a decision for Jesus and she was visiting with an older counselor and the man asked her, now you know that Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus didn't have any sin. And She said, no, Jesus, Jesus had sin. And so thinking maybe she didn't understand, he said, no, 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 no. You understand Jesus lived a perfect life and Never sinned, never had any sin. And she said, no, he never had any sin in his life. But when he was on the cross, he had mine. And that, my friends, is the answer. That we say, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And now I put my faith, and that payment was complete, finished, and sufficient to bring salvation for my life. Jesus offers the ultimate invitation of God's love. But then thirdly, we we see this, that Jesus delivers the eternal salvation of God's love. Notice what it says, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. First, he states in the negative what is not going to happen. They shall never perish. So he starts with that negative. They will never perish. And then he moves to the positive. But they will have everlasting or eternal life. So Jesus, as he's sharing, says, look, this this is what's going to happen. On the negative side, when you place your faith in Jesus alone, you will never perish. You'll never be separated from God. You'll never be separated from God. God's love ever again. And on the positive side of that, you can have eternal life. You can have it now, and when you have it now, you'll have it forever. And the truth is, is if you don't have eternal life now or everlasting life now, you're not going to get it when you die. The truth is, is we have to have it now. We'll not perish, but have it now. We'll have it. Many of you, and, and I guess probably of my age as well, my father and my grandfather, my grandfather was in World War II. There's an amazing story in World War II. In February of 1943, 
there was a ship with over 900 sailors on it called the SS Dorchester. It was moving along when a German U-boat sent a torpedo and hit the SS Dorchester. And upon the SS Dorchester, there were four chaplains. And after the electrical system was hit and it went black, and these four chaplains were there trying to calm men, each of the four chaplains took off their life vest and they gave it to others. And these four chaplains all died. I learned about this just a few years back. I was going back and looking through my childhood stamp collection. And in 1948, they made a three-cent stamp, and it is called the Immortal Chaplains. And I began to say, now why are chaplains on a stamp? And I recognized, I read the story and now recognize, what a picture of sacrifice. But that human sacrifice pales in comparison to what God has done for us in Jesus. Where God would step out of eternity and out of the glory and majesty of heaven to step into humanity amid a world that he would love and yet he would ultimately die. But listen, he did not die as a martyr. He died ultimately as the savior, as the one who would be, as Numbers 21 says, would be lifted up. In Isaiah 53, we find that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, that all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, and God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So that Paul, when he would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that Christ died for our sin according to the Scripture, and he was buried and he rose again according to the Scripture, was saying to us, look, Jesus truly is is the one and only Savior. And if you believe in him, you don't have to worry about perishing and being separated from God. Yes, we're all going to experience physical death one day, but the truth is, is even though we may experience a physical death, that is just a, a stepping stone for etern- to eternity in the presence of God one day if we know Jesus. So, there's a picture and the picture is of God's love. You say, well, I, does God really still love me? Look at my circumstances and look at my life and look how hard things are. Look at the grief I'm bearing. Look at the weight I'm carrying. So I want to tell you today and remind you this week, If you ever question God's love, you go back and you look at a pregnant peasant woman on her way to Bethlehem, finds no room for an inn and so has a baby probably in a cave or a barn of some sort and Jesus steps into humanity. Do you know why he's there? Because God loves you. You take a look at a 30-year-old man as he waves goodbye to his mother and brothers and he sets out on a journey to preach and to teach and to heal. Why is he doing that? Because God loves you. 
And then look at a man in the Garden of Gethsemane who's crying out, Lord, if there could be any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Why is he following God's will? Because of God's love for you. And then, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, lift up and look at the cross. And you see a man who never sinned and never did anything wrong, fully God, fully man, who now is taken all of the sin in my life, in your life. And now that sin has been placed upon him and he experiences this separation from God. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is he crying? Why is he suffering? Because God loves you. And listen to those words. It is finished. And he gives up his spirit and he dies. Why death? Because God loves you. But the story doesn't end there. You go with me and and see the excitement of some ladies who show up on Sunday morning after Jesus has died and was buried. And there, the angel says to them, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Go and tell. And then Jesus shows up. And why is he there? He's there because he loves. And today, he says, whoever, whosoever, everyone who believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. And why are his arms still stretched out to those of sinful humanity today? Because God loves us. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. God, thank you for showing your love. Uh, We are truly amazed. We are humbled. We recognize our sinfulness and we recognize your sacrifice. And we cry out and say, thank you, Lord, for loving us. And Lord, for those who are hurting today and circumstances have made them question your love, may they revisit the cross. For those who are grieving today, may they see your love for them, Lord Jesus. in a way maybe they've never seen before. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. In your name we pray. Amen.